Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What up, my homies? Welcome back for the second part of my incredible conversation with Cindy Trim that will have you inspired to never, ever, ever settle, no matter what age you are. Now, Cindy is one freaking badass, guys. She's not only a former senator and the author of Unstoppable and The 40 Days So Fast, she is a remarkable woman who decided that settling for love that stifles her dreams was not going to happen. She had the strength and the ability to never freaking settle. Cindy's about to drop more wisdom bombs that you don't want to miss out on. It's your future, guys. It's your happiness. And your life literally hangs in the balance based on the decisions that you make. So let's not waste any more freaking time. I'm Lisa Billu. Welcome to Women of Impact. I wish that we could like bottle that up and people could just like buy it for ease because I spent eight years being a stay-at-home wife. And I was miserable, but I never told my husband. And it wasn't even something that he was like, no, I expect you to do it. And so once I spoke up and I was like, I love you so much, but I don't want to cook and clean for you anymore. He was like, well, of course. He's like, if, if you want to change and that makes you happy, what kind of husband would I be to prioritize clean underwear and food over my wife's happiness? Mm. And once I spoke out, I was like, oh, it was that easy? You know, obviously it wasn't that easy. We had to do a transition and make sure that we were both like dancing together because when one of you changes, obviously you're both kind of changing, making sure that you're changing together and not apart. But once I said it out loud, Cindy, that's why like I just love what you said. It became like I just had to ask for what I wanted. And sometimes, especially as women, if we've been brought up in a very traditional cultural background, like mm -hmm. for, for me, Greek Orthodox, there was so much pressure that, yeah, of course you're going to be a wife and a mother. Like that's, that's your goal in life. Mm -hmm. And so I never questioned it, which then taught me to never speak up. But by just to your point, just saying what you want can solve so many problems. And I love that you did that with your husband. And I assume you did that before you guys got married? Way before I got married. Mm. We had a come to Jesus conversation. Did you really? Yeah. Let's, let's just talk like? about yeah. this. Let's just talk about this. Um, so my husband, um, first wife, passed from cancer, unfortunately. So this was his second. And they had been together almost 40 years. So I'm, you know, this is a second marriage. So you can imagine 40 years with being with one type of woman, stay-at-home mom, catered to the family. She was not a career lady. You can imagine the kind of transition that he had. So one of my questions were, um, so what do you think your role as a husband is to me as your wife would be? And he said, it's to cultivate. And I said, cultivate what? I have come fully assembled, batteries included. <laughs> what are you cultivating? 
And he had to change his paradigm because it worked back then, but it cannot work now. Um, so we had to have that sort of come to Jesus as a more mature woman, as a leader. I'm a world leader. Um, so what do you do with someone that's a stay at home? And then you transition with this woman that solves problems for life. Like, I, that's what I do. I solve problems. So I'd never sit with my husband to try to figure out my personal problems. This is what I do for a living. So it was a heavy transition for him, but it was also a heavy transition to me, for me because now I have this marriage. And what do I do as this uh, alpha woman? I'm an alpha woman. I consider you an alpha woman too. Uh, but I'm an alpha woman and an alpha man. What do you do? So you look at your differences. And it's the differences that make our relationship strong. It's not what's alike. Mm -hmm. It's what's different. And we're able to complement one another at the level of our differences. So I'm not trying to change him. He's not to tr trying to change me. But I'm growing in the relationships. And I feel that with women who may be challenged in any area, financially, emotionally, whatever area she's challenged in, in her relationship, in her marriage. I think the advice that I would give them, Lisa, um, would be to, number one, sit with yourself long enough to define who you are. And it doesn't matter where you are today. So even if you were married, say, 10 years uh, ago, and this is how you thought things should have been, but then you changed and you say, oh, you know, there are other options out here and here's what I want. That is fine, but you need to get around women who have walked the same path that you had to make that transition. So I hadn't been married. I was 60. I'm married now. I had to talk to my married friends. Like, what's it like? You know, what did you do? What what frustrates you? We had that conversation. And I was able to say, I'm definitely not going to do that. But I brought to the table for my married friends a perspective that they never had. And they said to me, Cindy, I wished I had talked to you when I first got married. Because what you're telling me is the very thing that I needed back then. So being able to surround yourself with people that have been on a journey that you are embarking on is important. That's number one. Number two, who you listen to, because who controls your ears controls your destiny. And so podcasts like this, Lisa, having this one-on-one -on -one conversation is changing so many people's lives because now they have options, things they've never heard of. So surround yourself with people who are demonstrating what you want and who you want to be and where you're going. And even if you can't do it like a one-on-one -on -one like this, read someone's book. If you can't do it on a one-on-one -on -one like this, listen to someone's podcast. And that's where you will get the um, empowerment and the perspective that you need to change, to not compromise, and to show up owning your life and then show up owning the space that you're in. Just own it. Because if you give the uniqueness 
of who you are with your perspectives, with your gifts, whatever it is, you inevitably make this world a better place. What the world needs is you, the pure you, not a representation of it. And that's why God created you exactly like you are. He created all of us in his image and after his likeness. This is my philosophy. He created all of us in his image after his likeness. He didn't make a mistake. And so the question I asked myself one day, what's wrong with God? Nothing. So what's wrong with you? Nothing. What's broken with God? Nothing. What's broken about you? Nothing. And once I owned that, then I started saying, okay, Let's pull back the layers, people's expectations, people's, pull back those layers and connect with your authentic self. Because when you collide with her, you collide with God. Self is the highest expression of divine genius and intelligence given in person form. And that's you and that's me. Oh, that's so beautiful. Have you ever had moments of feeling broken? Yes, I've been deeply broken. Do you mind talking about sure. that? Sure. Um, my father, the day that he um, lied and I was left at that bus stop, it broke me to the core. I, I'm not a crybaby, so I don't cry a whole lot. But it broke me to the core. But in the brokenness, that's where the real Cindy was found. That crack just revealed something that was hidden. And I go back to Viktor Frankl when he said, adversity is introducing a man to himself. So that adverse circumstance introduced me to me. And I can go on. I remember one time I was on this board. And I was outspoken. So I, I'm, I'm opinionated. I'm outspoken. I have an opinion about everything. And I felt like, oh, you're absolutely going in the wrong direction. And I just kept hammering. The board was going in the wrong direction. Yeah, the board. And it was going to compromise the organization, the business. And so the chair was saying, we should do so-and-so. And I said, absolutely not. We should not do that. It's only going to compromise the business. And so they decided to vote me off. So I got voted off of this board and it, it broke me to the core. So I had this narrative, oh, they fired me and this is what happened. And, you know, these are evil people. That was my narrative. Then when I changed my narrative, that adversity is um, introducing a man to himself. This is Victor Frankl quote. Then I asked myself, well, which part of myself am I being introduced to? And it was the next best version of myself. So now I reframed everything. Every crisis is a gift. Every problem is an opportunity. And every adverse circumstance is my most valuable teacher. And that's how I rephrased it. So now if something happens, I'm never a victim. I'm always excited. Oh, good. Something great is going to happen. I'm going to be introduced to the next best version of myself. You should have paid attention yesterday. But now here is that knock on that door. Here is the tap on your shoulder. And every last one of us will have a tap. And it would show up as a problem, 
a crisis. It would show up as an adverse circumstance. So in any situation you can choose, I can think about Nelson Mandela coming out 27 years and he chooses to forgive. And the first thing that we need to do is to forgive people because they doing, they're doing the best they can. And then to forgive yourself and to continuously say, I'm bigger than my last mistake and better than my worst situation. I choose to believe that. And what version of myself am I being introduced to? That's a long way home. No, no, Cindy, this is so spot on and this is so strong because I've developed this skill set. I didn't have those exact words, but um, I think it was Tony Robbins, how do you make the worst day your best day ever? And so I literally, in the moments now where I could be on my knees, feeling broken with the tears, I'm like, "Ah, how can this be the best thing? You know, and if you just keep repeating it, to your point, that storytelling of how you perceive this moment can be detrimental to your future or actually super empowering to your future. And one of the worst things that ever happened to me, I was to my knees sobbing and I was like in real time, okay, how am I, how am I going to tell this story in a year? I literally asked myself that as I'm sobbing, I was like, okay, you've got multiple options. In a year, you can look back and say, yeah, I was broken. Or in a year, you can look back and say, I was broken, but I got the F up. Yes. And I, what story do I want to choose? It's like, I want to be the badass that got up. It's like, okay, then get up. And so whether it's metaphorically or actually physically, if you're able to make that switch, and I don't think it's going to be easy. I think if people are listening for the first time of this idea, it may take them a week. It may take them a month. It may take them a year. Yeah. Two years. Here's the thing. Feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. Let me explain. This is how I explain feelings so that people can understand. So you have a thought. A thought about a situation, a circumstance. Thought about yourself. In order to know that you're thinking, you have to have an emotion. An emotion is a biochemical, bioelectrical impulse that lets you know that you have this thought. Thoughts are always images, so you don't think in words, you think in pictures. And you can change the picture anytime you want, right? But just having an emotion is not good enough. You end up having a feeling. What is a feeling? A feeling is the interpretation of your emotions, which is an indication of your thought. So what do you do to change your feeling? Change your thoughts. Change your thoughts. That's it. So get out of your feelings and into your head. (laughs) And, you know, I always say to people, look, uh, the sky is not the limit. Your mind is. And once you remove self-imposed lids and limitations, you know, we impose lids and limitations on ourselves. How far can you go as far as you want? And one of the things people can change in your life, they can change your right to make a decision. You choose every single day. You choose how you feel. And you could change how you feel. You change where you go. You could do that. I don't like where I am. Where do you want to be? And just do one thing today towards going there. I don't like, you know, maybe how much finances I have in the bank. How much do you want? I did this experiment with myself. I said to myself, I'm going to make a million dollars in six, 
in, in eight weeks. I make a million dollars in eight weeks. I just challenge myself. And, but I can't use anything that I have. I have to create it and then literally take it to the market. And I challenge myself. Lids and limitation. Um, so a strategy is a plan of action to get you from point A to point B without consideration of, of lack of limitation. Mm. That's what a strategy is. So a person may not have a skill problem. They may have a strategy problem. So I said, okay, the first thing I need is a strategy. So I'm thinking through, if you don't have a product, what's your strategy to make it? Then I said, okay, products become valuable if there's a demand. The demand is based on a problem. What is a big problem that people have that I could solve? So never look at your problems as if it's something that is coming to destroy you. It's there to prosper you. So then I said, okay, let me just decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Eight weeks, I took an idea, just a thought, turned it into a product through execution. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of people have great ideas and dreams and visions, but they never execute. What one thing can you do that can change everything? So I did that every day, eight weeks. And at the end of eight weeks, guess how much I made? Exactly, oh listen, exactly a million dollars. Exactly, not one million and one, not one million and two. Exactly. What if I had challenged myself at 10,000? Now, that's money. Let's park it aside. What if I had challenged myself physically or emotionally? What if I challenged myself in my relationships? I challenged myself in marriage. What if I can actually control the outcome. And this is what people call, say, I manifested that. Mm -hmm. You did. How did you do it? Thought, emotions, feelings, actions. You executed. So people go by feelings and they make a decision. But what if there's a life hack? Let's bring it all the way up to thought. And then your feelings are going to follow so will your habits, so will your actions. Thinking does not require a degree. You don't have to go to school. You don't need a PhD. It's a gift. You do it naturally. But what if you can harness the incredible power of thought? What if you could do that? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you want to know what you've been thinking about your life, look at what's manifesting. Do not curse or resent or reject what has already manifested. Go back up and say, this is what I want. This is the image that I see. How do you see your life unfolding? Because how you see it unfolding will unfold. And what's not there for you will never be here for you. Your feet will never take you where your mind has never been. So the hardest work in life is not changing anything out here is to change your mind. And any time you decide that you're gonna change your mind is when you'll change your life. This is whether it's in an abusive relationship, this is whether it's an addiction, this is whether it's poverty. Don't try to do things out here. It will always evade you. People will always change. People will always do this. 
you know, the economy will always do this. Government will always do that. All of that is out of your control because you'll still be playing supporting actress. But when you decide I'm going to be the lead actress in the unfolding of my life, it starts right here, the thoughts. And that's the hardest thing to change. But the moment you do, everything about your life will line up. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Oh, no, literally. I didn't know if I should just stay silent or cheer. Your um, your feet will never go where your mind doesn't. Holy smokes. That really hit me. That really hit me. People need to write that quote and put it on their mirror, mm-hmm. on a post-it, and just read it every day because mm-hmm. that is so freaking powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, the analogy as well is just so beautiful. Um, if you don't mind taking me through, so once you met your husband and you had this discussion, I love that, Talk to me about how you started to set boundaries and how each of you started to set boundaries, Um, especially as I think of, I'm just going to project myself. So I'm 44. And so when I think about myself when I was in my 20s, I was much more malleable. I didn't really have boundaries. I was like, yeah, sure. And as I get older, 
I get more, I don't want to say dogmatic. I like to think of myself as like being very open, but I do get a certain, like, I like it this way and I have certain behaviors and this is what I want. And so I feel myself getting less flexible as I get older, setting more boundaries as I get older. And I think that that has really served me. It's made me stop people pleasing. It's allowed me to really be myself instead of being dictated by other people's expectations. But where's that fine line between being open to impact each other or um, having making sure that you stand firm in your boundaries? So having having an, a keen understanding of where you end and where you begin i think you grow into it and you started early most women don't discover that until they're 50 and 60 and they're ready for retirement and then they're putting their feet down and then you don't have enough energy you know mm-hmm. to enforce this is what i want this is what i need cuz you're already exhausted living life but you started young and everyone can start now i think by deciding what you need from another person that you cannot give yourself. So you can give yourself happiness and you can give yourself joy, but you can't give yourself a sense of belonging to um, an individual or a community. You can't give that unless you're with others. Um, And I think the whole idea of having personal boundaries and um, exercising that in a relationship or in marriage, I think that's very important for women um, because everyone has expectations of a woman. And I'll give you an example. I was on a board. This is another board. I was on a board and it was all men. I was the only female. So when they came in, we were taking a break and they looked directly at me and they said, oh, we need coffee. And I looked them straight in the eye. I said, look, I run companies. I have assistants that get me coffee. And I'm not your assistant. Get it yourself. When the second thing they said was, all right, we need someone to take minutes. And they were looking exactly at me. I looked at them. I said, it's up for grabs. I'm not one of them. That is a boundary. I'm a very kind person. I naturally give. If you came to my house, I'm naturally going to serve you. You came the first time, fine. The second time, fine. Third time, people expect that from you. And I had to have to insist now, listen, this is not something that you're going to expect. And this is not the role I choose to play in your life. I'm not going to play this role. So in my marriage, When we first, when we got married and we were living together now, this was the official thing. My husband asked me, what's for dinner? And we had to have a come to Jesus. I naturally do this. You cannot expect this all the time. Now I'm going to treat you like a guest always. You're my house guest. But a house guest cleans up after themselves. A house guest takes care of themselves. And that's not something I'm going to do. Now, when you found me, I had a housekeeper. And I had a housekeeper for a reason. So here's our boundaries. 
This is what's going to happen here. And he said, thank you very much. I'm glad you told me. Now I know. That was a boundary. You have to set financial boundaries. If you have a family, say for instance, if I'm financially successful, I may have more than my family. I am not obligated to lend anybody any money. So here is my boundary. I never lend money to anybody under any circumstance. If I can't give it, I'm not going to lend it to anybody. That spouse, siblings, friends, you cannot ask me to borrow money from me. Why? Because I'm not a bank. Thirdly, helping people, you have to make sure that you don't extrapolate from them their dignity. So I had to learn the first time they're happy, the second time they're grateful, the third time they expect it, the fourth time they'll resent you if you don't do it. So you have to put boundaries into what you call help. Are you enabling them or are you helping them? So help means, yes, you're going through a hard time. I'm going to help you. But here is some information that you need. Here is an organization that can help you. But what I'm not going to do is play the role of your rescuer. Because we all have to live our lives ourselves. Boundaries are psychological boundaries. We, had, we grew up seven in, with eight people in the house, abject poverty. My mother taught me boundaries. This is your sister's drawer. Everybody had one drawer. One. <laughs> no two, no three. One drawer. This is your sister's drawer. You never go in your sister's drawer without permission. Boundaries. So you have psychological boundaries. How far are you going to let people penetrate your psyche? Number one. Number two, you have physical boundaries. How far are you going to allow someone to touch you or invade your physical space? Number three, you have relationship boundaries. If you have 10 friends and I'm the 11th, how are you going to say, this is a two-way? It's not all of us. This is between us. And how do you treat people to respect the relationship that you have with other people without feeling as if they have access to that too? So you have those kinds of boundaries, financial boundaries. It's not just boundaries. It's boundaries of your mind, boundaries of your emotions. Where you tell people, that does not make me feel good. Back up. Never say that to me ever again. Never. I'm never going to allow you to talk to me that way again. You got to do that the first time. You have professional boundaries. And this is where women make a mistake. Because when we are in the workplace, you're not there to make friends. You've got to set boundaries. You are not my friend. You're my colleague. So with a relationship, there are 12 bands of relationship. Each one of those bands is a solid line. It's not perforated. So you never make your friend your business partner. And if that friend is your business partner, the rules, roles, responsibilities change. 
So you got to know the rules, roles, responsibilities, expectations of every relationship. And there are 12 bands and you have to put people in their place. So if I meet you, the first thing is I once was a stranger. There's a band mm. or a stranger. Then we're meeting one another. We're mere colleagues right now. I can feel like your friend, but do I have an invisible list of criteria for friends? So now you have to prove that to me, that here are the criteria, you meet the criteria. Now, my rule of thumb was never to date a colleague, no matter how attractive I was, never date a colleague. I stuck to that because yes, there are men that are attracted to you, but you're my colleague. The problem comes when I compromise that line of demarcation and turn it in, into a, a perforated line. My husband is my husband. That's a category all by itself. He's my spouse. So that line can never be perforated by the children. It can never be perforated by my extended family. My extended family is my extended family, and it has criteria for itself. So boundaries, um, you almost have to learn that. Here are the 12 bands of relationship. Here are the boundaries. Here's what you do with your relationship with yourself. Here are the boundaries. Then you move out, your spouse, then your children, then your extended family, then your friends, then your mentors, then your coaches, then you move out to strangers. Can a stranger become a friend? Absolutely. But they must first be in the category of a stranger. Then do they fit the criteria? So you, we meet people all the time, you and I, all the time, all the time. Amazing people, beautiful people, but they're still strangers. And it's just like on social media. We talk about social media friends. That's a problem. They're social media strangers. You don't know these people. But people would say, oh, you are a friend of mine. And they really mean it. We're friends on social media. And then they get upset if you don't function at, at, under the criteria mm. of a friend. So we have to, you know, go back and redefine everything in this hyper-connected environment that we're living in. So I hope that answered the question. Yeah, that was so fascinating. I never heard of like the bands and I love the idea of the criteria because then you then would change the band. So as you were navigating these boundaries with your husband, um, because he had children, how did you navigate those boundaries between the two of you and his kids? Because I think that that becomes, um, it seems like you, you've just done it beautifully, but it's very difficult for a lot of people when they join a family that already has kids, it's, it's, you know, especially if you don't have children, there can be a lot of um, uh, tension, I would say, mm. in sometimes these families joining together. Yeah, uh, I have bonus children. They're adult children, which is really good. Um, but it's very tough when you have little children and you have teenagers. Uh, number one, there has to be the respect um, for the genetic relationship the, that the, that either spouse, either the woman or the, the man has with their children. 
And number two, you have to manage your expectations of them and they have to manage their expectations of you. So you do have to have that heart to heart conversation. Number three, you have to give the children time, time to get to know you and time for you to get to know them. And then you have to give them permission, permission to not to feel that they have to call you mom. My kids call me mom. Mm -hmm. You know, decide on, okay, what would you like to call me? How would you like this to go? If they're living in the house, they were used to a different kind of structure. If your structure is changed, they have to, you know, you have to give them time to understand your structure and expectations. And I think this is why babies are born with no personalities. Because they have to have time to get to know you as mommy and you to get to know them as mommy. Can you imagine if your child was born a full adult <laughs> with cognition, <laughs> intelligence? They're like, well, who are you and why are you dressed that way? And they're talking to you like, I don't like that. I don't like your food. And I don't, you know, you, you have to, they grow into you. Yeah. You know, you nurture them, but they make you. So a child actually makes you into a mother. And so likewise with, you know, learning about these human beings that were never in your life, you didn't create them. They didn't have that time where they got to know you. They were attached to you emotionally before they had cognition and, and all of that, right? Um, you have to do the same for this new family that you're in. Um, they have to get to know you. You have to get to know them. What happens if they don't like you? You are not playing supporting actress. I keep hammering this. You're not the supporting actress in the unfolding of anybody's life. What would you have done if they didn't like you? Um, allow them not to. Hmm. It doesn't change me. I'm leading actress. I hold the script. They cannot give me a script. But do you think it would have affected your relationship with your husband? Um, yes, definitely. It'll, it, it'll be something that we have to work through because I couldn't tell him not to like his children that don't like me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what I've done. I keep all, all my relationships off limits to everybody. So my relationship with my husband is strictly between he and I. I don't, we don't talk about what he feels about my family. He could feel any way he wants. I know where I end and I begin. My relationship is not with you, your family, your cousins, your uncle. My relationship with, with, with you. Does this work? And if it works, I'm not going to allow someone to contaminate what is pure with us. How do you prevent that? You have an adult conversation. Going back, this is what I need from you. This is what I want from you. What is us? How do we define us? You know, and that's important. Uh, what if my husband allowed someone to interfere in our relationship? Um, I still know where I end. And he begins. This is his narrative. Mm. This is not my narrative. 
My narrative is here. So what if your staff and everybody doesn't like me? What if my staff and everybody doesn't like you? There's a solid boundary there. This is all I'm interested in. When I walk away, I know where I end and they begin. I can't stop your feelings. I'm not going to go back into your feelings. I can't control that. can control mine. This is what I'm controlling right here. This is where boundaries in relationships are important. So what if my family didn't like him? This is what I control. So did you do that with him and then separately with his children? I got to know them separately. Mm. I called them, each one of them, yeah. find out who they are, you know, test them, told them who I am. Um, what I don't have is a lot of time. So I said to them, look, if you ever need me, call me anytime you want. I may not always be able to answer the phone. I could be on an airplane. So make sure you get other people that you can rely on. I cannot be the sole go-to person. I had that conversation. And the same thing with my husband when we were dating. He said, all I hear is zippers and you're always on an airplane and you're always here. This is the woman that you're going to marry. I'm not the traditional woman. This is my calling. This is my life. You know, and there are some nights I go to bed after him. And he's such a gentleman. He would sit up, you know, and wait for me until he figured, figured out, I can't keep up with you. I'm a night person. He's a morning person. Mm -hmm. Difference. So don't try to make me a morning person. I'm not going to try to make you a night person. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. But it was learning how to navigate the terrain of his psychology and him navigating mine. This is why I do this. When I say this, this is what I mean. One of the things that frustrated him, we have never argued one day in our lives. Oh, wow. Never. And, but I did. we did have a moment of frustration. When we were talking and I asked him, what do you mean when you say that? What's your context? And he said, it's just a simple word. You're very intelligent. You should know what it means. And I had to say to him, every word has a context. And I have not been privileged to live with you for 60 years. That's a whole lot of context. Before I make a conclusion with what you are saying to me, it's best that you give me a context and help me to learn. So what I did when we were dating, I gave context for everything. Long story. I'm not, I said to him, I'm not going to trust you automatically. You can't tell me anything that I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. You have to prove it. And here is why. So I gave him examples. I've been taking care of myself since I was eight years old. Since I was 12 years old, I've been financially responsible for myself. I'm not afraid of anyone. I'm not going to be afraid of you. Here's your context. So now when I say X, Y, and Z, I don't trust you until you prove it. Now you understand what I'm saying. It's not you 
that I'm talking about. Here's my context. Now it's easy. It was easy. Oh, I get it. That's so powerful. Me and my husband still do that. So I was, you know, brought up in a very traditional Greek Orthodox family and, you know, in London. And he was born in Tacoma, Washington. So it's like you couldn't get more different like upbringings. And that was one thing that we would um, argue about. We would actually, we would mm. argue. Um, but it, we call it frame of reference. So when you say this, your frame of reference is X, Y, and Z, but my yes. frame of reference is actually over here. Yes. And so now we think we're saying the same thing, but we're actually talking past each other because we're using the same words, but they mean very different things to very us. Very different. Mm -hmm. Culture. Yeah. It's culture. It's all culture. And I, under, I understand that. For instance, I'm British American. You're British American. So we got this British thing going on. And, um, you know, the Brits are more formal than American. You don't invade a person's space or you don't ask personal information because we don't have that relationship. So I had to adjust to that because at, initially it looked like I was conservative, reserved, and a bit standoffish. When in fact, I'm the most friendliest person, person, but it was culture. It was the culture and culture is important. And I think one of my strategies is to seek to understand before demanding that I be understood. And um, that has helped a lot. I want to understand. I want to understand why you say, you know, and I think assuming that a person understands what you're saying leads to the worst kinds of relationships. I, I was talking to um, a, my makeup artist, right? And I asked one question and she gave the answer based on what she thought I was asking, but I had to reframe it to get the right answer. And sometimes we have to reframe our lives that way so that people get us. Um, we can't assume that anyone understands. Uh, it's like telling a story and telling someone, oh, I want you to draw a round um, circle. Then I want you to put uh, two antennas on the circle. Then I want you to put five sticks on the circle, and then I want you to put some spots on the circle. And if you had five people, it'll be five different pictures. Because mm -hmm. I was describing a ladybug. <laughs> that was not what I was picturing in my head. What were you picturing? I was like, is that like a stick figure pig or something? I was like, and then you said antennas. I was like, okay, she's not going for a pig. Maybe it's a reindeer. So That's, you see... Yeah, yeah. And, and if, if this is communication here, can you imagine how difficult it is for a person to show up in their lives amongst other people and then help people to figure out who they are and how they should be taught? Mm. And now thinking about the difference with cultures and then just even in generations as well. There's just certain things where I'll say something and then the younger generation perceives it as very different. I was like, what did you think I said? And so that's what me and my husband talk about is defining words. And so we have our own little like mini dictionary, if you will, mm -hmm. of when I say this, this is what I mean. Okay, do we agree on the meaning of this word? Yes. And it means that you have to put more effort mm -hmm. 
You have to put more effort into your life, into your relationships. You just, you have to exercise all those things 24-7, all the time. And the reason why I think that this is so important with everything we're talking about is because there are so many moments that I'm sure you and your husband are like, oh, we don't see eye to eye. Oh, well, it's not going to work. Or, oh, well, you think I should stay at home and cook, but there's no way, you know, I'm a businesswoman and I command boardrooms. Oh, well, I guess it's not going to work. Like there's all these opportunities, if you will, to turn someone away. And so understanding and, and loving hearing you the way that you process things of how you've been able to be so damn freaking successful, independent, badass, and then be able to also be a beautiful wife and meet someone, you know, later on in life and still having the right mindset, not giving up on compromising who you are, um, not diminishing yourself or your lights, which I think a lot of us do end mm-hmm. up doing. Um, and so the one thing I want to ask you is, you exude confidence, mm-hmm. exude it. And so many people want what you have. Like they want that, like to be bold, to be able to say the things that they mean. What do you think are the key things that have allowed you to be as confident as you are if someone's listening right now and um, really desperately wants that confidence? Um, one of the things I do with my clients, I give them a DISC test. It's a personality test, but it's, it's contextual. So the context of the disc is not just showing you your strength and your limitation, but showing you how you naturally own a room, command attention. How do you do that naturally? And this is what I want you to do. Do more of this. And if this part of the limitation is hurting you, here are some strategies to compensate for that. Where's your energy naturally? So um, exuding confidence simply means that you accept yourself as you are, your temperament, your personality, nothing wrong with you. There are some habits that you might have picked up along the way and some life strategies that may have worked back then when you were 18 and 19 and 21 and 30, Mm -hmm. but they may not work with this new version of yourself. Don't be afraid to peel that away. Two things cannot exist in the same spot. So if you get rid of this ineffective habit, an effective habit can replace that. That's the second thing. You can only be yourself. So if your refrigerator stopped trying to be a microwave, and if your microwave stopped trying to be the kitchen table, show up as you are. And own your space. The space is you. Um, Give what you can to the world, but first give to yourself. Fill your own cup up and then let everyone benefit from the overflow. And thirdly, stop trying to be like something that you're not. Too much energy. When you go, if you went to a psychotherapist, you don't want a talkative psychotherapist. You want someone that listens. So even if you're quiet, we need you. People pay $175 an hour for you to go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And how did that make you feel? So if you only say 10 words, choose a profession that requires that. You could think of scientists. Can you imagine 
being in a laboratory with acid and all over, and you have someone that's dancing around and kicking things over, too much energy. You need that um, phlegmatic personality. You need that quiet personality. But then if you have a performing artist, you don't need phlegmatic. You need someone that is loud, that owns the room, that gives the energy. You want that. So you can find something suited for your personality without feeling that there is something inherently wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. You just need to find the platform. And then number two, just own you and stop trying to be someone else. Everybody else has taken. So you might as well be yourself because that's the ultimate gift that you can give. You give it to yourself and you give it to the other. And therein lies the secret to confidence. I love that. Can I ask you something about your number two there where you said about um, showing up, uh, you know, just show up as who you are. What if who you are is very insecure? Um, that's a limitation, isn't it? So it's not your strength. Mm, I see. So that's a limitation. And if you have insecurities, you might need help. And that's where maybe a coach will come in, maybe a psychotherapist will come in. You know, you can ask for help. I'm task-oriented, so I'm a task-oriented person. I had to learn how to be more people-oriented, to sincerely care, how are you doing? How's your day? Is everything going all right? Because for me, it's like, go, 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 go. What are you crying for? Go, 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 go. What happened? Go, 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 go. And to really stop and say to a person, I see you, I'm concerned about you, and maybe we could fix this. Let me offer this as a suggestion. Then, go, 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 go. <laughs> so putting people first, and then production and performance second, as opposed to the performance. I had to learn that because I'm type A but not everyone's type A. You know, on the disc, I'm a D, I'm a dominance, but I've learned how to build, build teams. Everyone's important. You know, the I's, the influencers, and the C's, the conscientious, and the S's, the steady, were all needed. So everything is learned, and you learn as you go. And I think that's the secret of success, right? You're never truly ready. A lot of people will say, when I get ready, when I get this, no, as you go, you'll gain the skill. As you do, you'll gain the skill. I don't know how to do this. As you go, you'll do it. And some, some skills take longer than uh, the others. And I was just telling um, my team just a couple of minutes ago, did you know that you have over 600 abilities? 600, that's a lot. 600. 600. That's how awesome you are. That's how bad you are. Why don't we succeed at all? Because some things we're not interested in. Some things other people could do for you. You don't have to do it all. But 600 ability. And each one of us have an ability to change how we do life if we connect with ourselves. And for my mother, you would never know her name unless I said it. 
No one would ever write a history book about her. But her one thing that she gave to this world was to raise seven children in the midst of abject poverty and to model for us what it means to be a healthy, contributing member of society. And I became an entrepreneur because my mother was a serial entrepreneur. And she never begged. She never expected anyone to do it. But what she gave to this world was me. And so women, a lot of times we think that it has to be something big. You have to have a book. You have to have a business. It's not, that's not it. You, you play on the one string that you have. That is purpose. Play on that one string. And my mother's purpose was not just to raise seven kids, but to raise Cindy. So that she was not insecure. So that she had confidence. So that she didn't believe that she had to marry and a man had to take care of herself. To raise her to know you have to give back to society. And that's what she insisted. You are going to give back to society. So at eight, I had to volunteer. And each woman, anyone that's listening now, don't compare yourself with someone else. You might be a cashier. You might be a bus driver. It might be that one child on that bus route that becomes the next president of the United States of America, Ann Sullivan. The one thing that she was called to do is to teach one little girl who was deaf and dumb to teach her how to communicate. And that was Helen Keller. So we read about Helen Keller. But what about Ann Sullivan? We read about Albert Einstein, who was diagnosed as being educable. They called him dumb. <laughs> but he had a mother. They sent him home from the educational institution and said he will never learn. So he says to his mother, what did they say? And the mom said, oh, they said that you're bright, you're smart, and the school cannot in accommodate your intelligence. So we've got, to we've got to educate you home. And if it wasn't for his mother, who we don't know who, who she is, we would not have E equals MC squared. So be you, bring the best of what you have to the table. Don't lower your expectations or standards. Bring your own happiness to the game. Just be you. Because if you can connect with you, you'll make the world a better place. Cindy, that was just so beautiful. Where can people find you? All the amazing things that you're doing, your books, your businesses, like just everything. All right, all my books, Amazon.com. Um, I'm really pushing Unstoppable. Um, and on Cindy Trim or Dr. Cindy Trim. It's either Cindy Trim or Dr. Cindy Trim and TrimInternational.com for our mentorship and our coaching.